This is episode 61 with Nathan Rose. This is Crowdfunding Uncut, the place where creators and entrepreneurs come to learn how to launch a successful crowdfunding campaign. Here's your host, Kirsten Ross. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Crowdfunding Uncut. We are switching gears a little bit away from the rewards-based crowdfunding into a topic that I get asked about a lot, and it's actually an upcoming exciting kind of funding for different kinds of businesses. And this is equity crowdfunding. Um, I've brought a specialist onto the show today who has raised more than $11 million. And he's joining me from Budapest, actually. Uh, so he's a, he's a, the second Kiwi we've actually brought onto the show. So I am so excited to hear his accent for a little bit. Um, Nathan Rose, he's a director of Assemble Advisory. It's a leading agency for equity crowdfunding campaigns, and he's also the author of an upcoming book called Equity Crowdfunding, The Complete Guide for Startups and Growing Companies. Um, he has advised companies all over the world, including New Zealand, Australia, and the UK. So he has a really well-rounded viewpoint of what is happening in the space. And today we're really going to be getting our hands dirty with what the heck is the difference between a Kickstarter campaign, which is rewards-based, and something where you're actually going for investment on a global scale. So, Nathan, I'm just so excited to have you on the show today. Likewise, Kirsten. Great to, uh, great to join you. Yeah. So, why the trip to Budapest? Tell me a bit about that. <laughs> well, I, I guess I'd have to talk a little bit about my backstory. Um, yeah. So, I have been running this advisory firm, uh, Location Independent. Um, as a digital nomad, and I think a lot of your listeners would already know what that is, but for those who don't, it's someone who works from their laptop. And yeah, so I choose locations around the world which I live in based on where I want to be. So I've been in, um, in London for a month this year, Amsterdam for a month, a couple of months in Tbilisi, Georgia. So that's, that's Georgia the country, not uh, Georgia the state. Uh, and uh, yes. now here I am in, in Budapest, and I'll be heading back over to London to launch the book shortly. That's awesome. Now, were you by chance inspired by Tim Ferriss as like I was? <laughs> How did you know? How did you know? Yeah, it's a cliche. Yeah, it's a it's cliche. A cliche. But, uh, everyone's, everyone's like been in their corporate job and read the four hour work week and decided to drop everything and uh, go try it, or at least or at least some of us did. Those who thought it was more than just a headline or a, a nice book cover. And, yeah. Uh, but I think any of us who are working four hours a week, I know I'm not, but... Um, it's uh, it's a it's a very interesting journey, and it is possible. Yeah, I think it took me about six years to finally figure out how to do the digital nomad thing properly after reading that book. Yeah, because yeah. um, the business model that he talks about building it didn't really work for me. But I love this idea of being able to work and travel anywhere in the world. Um, and I'm currently in Boston uh, as I'm recording this, so none of us are in our like natural habitats, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Well. What what is a natural habitat anymore? It's uh, don't know. <laughs> it's amazing. You can actually work from anywhere and uh, and do these these crazy things. I mean, when I tell people that I was working in Georgia, right? They they don't even believe it. They they just fall out of their chair. Um, <laughs> they see where it is on the map, sort of in between uh, Turkey and Russia. But there's no reason why you can't work from there if the internet connection's good enough. That's the that's the thing. If the internet connection is yeah. good enough. <laughs> yeah. <So. laughs> Yeah. No, that's incredible. So, Nathan, I'm so curious. Can you tell me a bit about how you started, fo like niching into advising equity crowdfunding campaigns? 
So I started in the corporate world out of university and I was an investment banker. So uh, don't, don't hate me for that, but uh, I did leave it. Um, my experience was helping um, well, a bunch of different companies, but the, the part of the job that I enjoyed the most was the early stage initial public offerings. So there were a couple of companies I helped out with there. One was a, a beer company that was just getting started. And another was a software service company. And both, were, both of those were based in New Zealand. And so when I read the four hour work week and I decided to uh, tr give this whole online entrepreneurship thing a go, I was thinking to myself, well, how can I, how can I actually make money while I'm traveling? How can I do this? And when you look at a lot of digital nomads and you've already touched on Tim Ferriss and the model that he recommends, you know, building courses and building these, uh, you know, recurring revenue softwares and these sorts of things. I looked at myself and I thought, I'm I'm just like not that guy. I'm not that guy yet. So I thought, how can I use the skills that I've already got in a way um, that I can earn some location independent income? And when I saw this thing called uh, equity crowdfunding come through, um, New Zealand was one of the pioneers when it first was legalised uh, in New Zealand in 2014. I thought, this, this looks pretty interesting. Like it's a close enough fit for my skills and it, um, it's this type of companies that I enjoy helping out. You know, the, the, uh, the startups with big ideas and big ambitions. So that's how I got started. Um, it, was, it was more of a match for my skills and a exciting, fast growing niche that I wanted to uh, be part of. So when was equity crowdfunding legalized in New Zealand? It was in... Uh, the middle of 2014, so there's been wow, about two okay. years of it so far. Awesome. And when you, because I see what you did from investment banking to equity-based crowdfunding, there's very similar overlap in skill set. Um, I'm curious, like, did you go out on your own or were you part of an organization that was, like, how, can you tell me about, like, that very first, like, month or two when you decided just to, to go into equity crowdfunding? Yeah, what that journey looked like for I, you? The first day that I sat down at Starbucks and said, this is day one of my business here. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. So I, I was just thinking to myself, okay, I've got these skills. I can help out companies. I can help out with valuation. I know financial modeling. I know how to write a business plan. So I just put up a simple web page through Weebly, uh, which was just a free website builder tool that doesn't require any programming or coding knowledge to do that. And... I started talking to people that I already knew, um, you know, trying to find these companies that needed this type of help. And mm -hmm. it ended up being, as it just so happened, I was starting in early 2015. So New Zealand at that point had been going for about six or eight months. So the platforms themselves were quite new. They were still getting their service providers on board, still figuring out their whole business model. And there just ended up being quite a nice match between what I'd started doing and the need that they had because they the, the platforms it's, it's like kickstarter right the, the the platforms and equity crowdfunding want to do as little of the hand holding as possible they want it to be a marketplace where buyers and sellers can meet and that's their business model so the the actual act of getting the campaigns ready to go was something they hadn't quite nailed um or they you know they, they'd started it but they wanted some help mm -hmm. And I just came along at the right time for a few of the platforms that were getting started. Okay. And so when, 
when you say you were, you helped the platform get started, did you actually, were you working with the platforms or with the uh, project no, creators? No, I, I was on my own. I was on my own. No, I, was, I, was I mean, really like, just... sorry, um, like an external advisor to them where you're like an external consultant that were actually working alongside the platforms to help them f do the hand-holding bit for them or? Uh, my client was the campaign. So the, the, the way it would work would be a campaign would be uh, struggling with some aspect of their preparation and then the platform would refer that campaign to me. Perfect, yeah. Gotcha. And, and and the campaign then work with me to get the bit that they were struggling with done together. I love that. Cool. Yeah, and it's it must be so amazing to be part of a pioneering an industry in a country. Oh, it absolutely is. Like, and not just in New Zealand, right? I mean, actually, we've been going for two years, and we are one of the older equity crowdfunding markets in the world. Um, like the US, the Title III crowdfunding that just came through in May of this year, uh, 2016. And um, like when we look across the Tasman Sea to Australia, they still haven't actually passed their laws over there yet. So, um, yeah, part of a pioneering uh, time in the country's history, but also a lot of countries are now looking to New Zealand as a model to replicate because they've seen that our uh, market's going pretty well and what can mm -hmm. they learn from that as they look to implement it themselves. I love that. And now for anyone listening who doesn't understand the difference between a rewards-based Kickstarter campaign and an equity crowdfunding campaign, can we just go into what the difference is between those two? Yeah, so it's uh, it looks like a Kickstarter campaign. It feels like a Kickstarter campaign. You'll, you'll go to the equity crowdfunding site and you'll see there's a video, there's a description, there's um, the button to put money in. All that stuff looked quite similar, but the big difference is that instead of getting the reward or instead of getting the uh, the thank you for a donation, the um, the pledges are instead becoming investors in the in the company that's raising money with equity crowdfunding. So how it work was would be they put out a valuation for themselves, say a million dollars. And they need to raise two hundred thousand, say, for growth. Well, the people who put money into the uh, into the equity crowdfunding campaign will become shareholders in that company. And therefore, I mean, it's a very small difference, but it has a lot of um, important implications. One of them is that the, there's different motivations at play. So, uh, with a rewards campaign, they're interested in the product that they get at the end, right? With equity crowdfunding, they're really investors, so they're more interested in the financial return that they can earn from the uh, eventual sale of the company in many cases. But you know, there's, a, there's a variety of companies that have used equity crowdfunding, um, but that's the big difference, the fact that they get shares. Okay, great. So we, we're obviously talking bigger amounts of money, like where the average reward on Kickstarter would be, say, $125 for mm -hmm. you um, do you know, I guess we're talking like thousands of dollars in, instead, right? I think the minimal viable level that people should be considering equity crowdfunding is about $30,000. That, that's just because there's, well, there's a lot of work that goes into, uh, into preparing a Kickstarter or Indiegogo campaign, as you know. But I would, I would say that there is even more work 
in putting together an equity crowdfunding campaign just because there's um, extra hoops through in terms of the law. Uh, you have to get accepted by the platform and there's a whole screening process that goes into that too. But yeah, um, it's, it, it is absolutely the, uh, in the higher numbers. So 30,000 is the minimum, but most campaigns are 100,000 and up. Wow, yeah. So you're saying to raise $30,000 is their goal, is, should be the bare minimum? Right. Yeah. I think yeah. any less than that, then the exercise just doesn't really, um, it's not worth the time and effort that goes into it. Yeah. No, I, I completely get it. Because from the campaigns that I've spoken to, they just seems like you have two kinds of investors that can invest in an equity plat campaign. You have non-credited and then credited investors. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And are, so are those... Are there differences, like what are the differences, like if I want to invest in an equity campaign if I'm not an accredited investor versus me being an accredited investor? So to decide whether you're an accredited investor first is something that we should explain. So you'll be an accredited investor if you can prove, depending on the country here, but in broad terms, they're going to look at your annual income or they're going to look at your net worth or, or a combination of the two. And uh, if, or, or they'll look at your experience. So if you're, if you can actually show that you're sophisticated enough to know what you're doing when it comes to early stage startups, right? So the change in the law, which I talked about earlier, mm -hmm. that's all about non-accredited investors, as in the general public, everyone, being able to invest in these companies. Um, and in some countries like New Zealand, it doesn't make a difference, right? So if you're in New Zealand and you're a non-accredited investor, you can put in as much money as you like into an investment. But in countries like the US, there is uh, limits as to what you can invest in each other. I think uh, $2,000 per campaign is the most that you can do if you're a non-accredited investor. Okay. And then I think Canada, depending on which province you're in, um, is different too with different levels. If you're accredited, you can, you can um, invest X amount of dollars. If you're non-accredited, it's a lot less than that. Also, depending on where you are, it's a bit of a mess legally in Canada, but. Yeah, it is. Uh, the reason for that is that they've got a different securities regulator in every province of Canada. Um, so whenever I talk to people about Canada, I, I start by saying, just realize that it's very complex and uh, for, you know, for, for yeah. a lot of people, it's enough to, uh, to put them off. Man, I, I get that. Um, now, when I look at, so I consult reward-based campaigns, and when I get companies coming to me, there I um, I will deem that they are the right fit for a Kickstarter campaign. Generally, if they are raising money to, so they have a prototype for a physical product, and they're now getting ready to launch that initial manufacturing run, and they need customer money, so pre-orders to be able to bring that first unit to the market. Now, I, I think in that in that sense, it makes perfect sense um, for crowdfunding. But what, how would it be different? Like, if you had a company come to you to say, "I have this product or this thing," um, should I do Kickstarter or should I do equity crowdfunding? And what should I consider before I pick one or the other? Um, well, I think it depends firstly on how much money you need to raise. So, if you need to raise $200,000, let's say, that that's 
probably going to put you more into the equity crowdfunding campaign. I mean, all of us know about the very uh, successful offers which have, you know, Oculus Rift and Manal that have raised hundreds of thousands of dollars, but it's just much more common to get there if you do equity crowdfunding. And then I'd think about what your what your business model is. So you mentioned there it's a product business. So I'd be asking, well, if it's a product business, maybe that makes it more suitable for rewards crowdfunding. But if it's some kind of B2B service or if it's um, a uh, like a prosthetic limb manufacturer or something that's going to be really hard to put into a Kickstarter reward, then um, you're going to really struggle to market that, right? So I'd look at how much money you need, what your business is, and then and then I'd also look at which country they're incorporated in. So we've already touched that Canada is very very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, in New Zealand, it's much easier. So if you if you have a uh, if you have a restriction that means it's going to be really hard to do equity crowdfunding in your home country, then you know that's another uh, tick in the box for going the rewards route. Yeah, you mentioned. Um... It's funny, you mentioned two things that you would recommend you do equity crowdfunding for um, that don't really fit into Kickstarter. And I I think it's fascinating because the campaigns that generally don't do very well with rewards-based crowdfunding are the ones that could just do well on equity, that being a B2B service. Or um, have you seen SaaS products go on for equity crowdfunding? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're perfect. Yeah. Or medical devices, and it's cool that you bring that up because I can just assume the cost of um, delivering something like that is a lot higher, and you're, I think you'd almost outprice yourself on Kickstarter if you were to try and do the pre-orders. Right. And <laughs> who really wants to pre-order a, uh, you know, a prosthetic limb. limb if they don't need one already? You're, 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 really, you're really, really limiting your audience there to, to people who need a prosthetic limb right now okay yeah. so. so any like any big business i guess uh medical pharmaceutical anything like that that would be in the corporate b2b as a customer would be great to look at yeah yeah and then there are some com- uh, companies that have a choice so one example would be uh, horton honey which raised money in the um in the uk and mm-hmm. you know, they, they ran their campaign on crowdcube and they did very well and they did it, um, you know, they actually had a reward as a big part of what they did to raise that money. You know, they, they could have sold their honey as a pre-order on Kickstarter, but instead they decided to go down the equity route. Um, but yeah, this, so there is some overlap of companies that could do both. Yeah, I've, I've seen that too. Have you seen any, or do you know of any companies that have started on Kickstarter and then after successfully raise and deliver that first product, they've then moved to equity crowdfunding? Not on not on Kickstarter. I'm sure there are some, but the one that I'm most aware of is um, a company called EcoRent, which is a company based in Finland. And they did an initial rewards crowdfunding campaign on a, on a local Finnish platform. I forget the name, but it was a rewards campaign that got them their start. That they uh, were able to prove the concept up, mm-hmm. deliver some initial rewards, and they subsequently did an equity crowdfunding campaign through Investor, which is a Finland-based European crowdfunding platform. And uh, yeah, so the, the, it can actually also be done in the other direction too. Um, there's a company called Ampler Bikes, which is based out of Estonia, that 
did their equity crowdfunding campaign first, which is which is a bit unusual, but it shows that it can be done. Mm-hmm. To to actually produce their product was going to be the expensive part, so yeah. they needed some initial backers, or some initial investors, I suppose, before they even had any capital to prove the design up. So they raised about ninety two thousand euros on Fundwise and, and followed that up with a a $143,000 campaign on Indiegogo for mm. a rewards campaign. So the two can work together. That's cool. I didn't even think of it the other way around because for me, my my instinct would be, but I'm biased because I'm the rewards girl. Um, <laughs> so for me, I would always be thinking, okay, we'll start on Kickstarter and then you move towards investment later on. Um, but... Okay, so that's generally yeah. the way that it would go, but of, of uh, course, but but it can be done the other way too. So that's pretty cool. Um, so I'm I want to give a scenario where I have a company and we will say I'm a medical device, um, and I've decided I want to do equity crowdfunding. What are some of the first steps that I need to take to start preparing for the campaign? Well, I guess uh, this is something that's common between equity crowdfunding and rewards crowdfunding, which is to start super early before you really need the money. The preparation phase can take a long time. But um, I would I would start by actually assessing all of the different funding options which are out there. So before you necessarily decide on equity crowdfunding, for a company like that, if it's a medical device company, it's it is actually lend itself quite well to just being funded purely through venture capital because they might not get that much benefit out of the marketing that can come out of a crowdfunding campaign. Um, but if you do decide that equity crowdfunding is the right way to go, you'll have to come up with a valuation for your company. And the way to do that now is actually it's actually quite exciting in the startup world that there's been so many equity crowdfunding campaigns out there now there's a lot more data out there on what valuations are being achieved by startups and growing companies. So you should look for similar campaigns to yourself, look at the level of traction that they were at and what revenue they were predicting in the next year, and then you can use that to anchor your own valuation. And then the next big thing you have to do is uh, to look into the platform choice. And and, um, and the Kickstarter Indiegogo rewards crowdfunding world it's um it's really a choice of the two i mean i know there are other platforms out there and uh and so on but those are the big two right but in equity crowdfunding it's much more fragmented it's fragmented between countries just because there's different securities laws in place so there's not there's not like just one platform like kickstarter which is all over the world right with equity crowdfunding they're very country specific you've got your uk platforms you've got your american platforms You've got your New Zealand platforms. There are some that are starting to get international, but you should look at the platforms within your country that you actually raise with and uh, work out who's going to be the best fit for you. And there's a whole lot of criteria that I can go further into there, but those are some of the um, those are some of the initial things that a company should be doing. Before we move on to the next question, I just want to take a minute and thank BackerKit for sponsoring this episode. Um, If you guys are in the middle of planning your crowdfunding campaign and you're wondering how the heck you're going to organize thousands of customer addresses, deal with surveys, color selections, sizes, upsells, 
all that stuff. They've made the process easy for you. And you can head over to backerkit.com. Um, but remember, there is a link in the show notes that if you use it, it does give you 50% off of their setup fee, saving you more than $150, which is awesome. And they've helped more than 2,000 project creators deliver products and digital packages to more than three and a half million backers. So they're one of the leading guys in the industry for this. Be sure to check them out. Okay. Uh, how do you, so with rewards-based crowdfunding, you would set your goal based around whatever project it is you're doing. So if you know you need 100K to get that first order together, then that's your goal. Um, mm -hmm. How would you, like what goes into setting a goal to figure out how much you need investment for with equity-based campaigns? a very similar thing but it's just not a product run uh, instead it's how much do you need to get your business to the next level whatever that is so you might do a financial model um, some kind of forecast that shows that if you had a hundred thousand dollars in the kitty then that would allow you to perhaps get to break even or it would last you for a couple of years which is long enough that it would last you uh, till your next fundraising round so you, you have to weigh up raising enough money at the time. This is actually something that's different between rewards and equity crowdfunding, right? Is, is that you don't want to raise much money with equity crowdfunding at the very early stages of your business because you'll end up giving up a very large percentage of your business. Whereas with rewards, uh, as long as you can take care of fulfillment, which is a big if I know, but if you can take care of fulfillment, really you want to get as much money through as possible. So you'll, all, you'll often see equity campaign set a maximum um, so you have to set enough that you can get to that next stage okay give yourself a bit of a buffer of course um, but not so much that you're going to dilute your own shareholding too much great yeah because you do want to maintain as much control over your company as possible yep that's absolutely yeah, right of course um so in terms of that goal so it sounds like you would when you put up an equity campaign, you have a goal of X thousands of dollars that you need to raise money for, and you say, when we raise this much, here is exactly what we'll be able to do. Yep, that's right. Great. Um, what kind of information do you have to disclose on a equity-based campaign? So this is, I think, where I mentioned earlier that there was extra work involved. Um, yeah. In the, in, in the rewards crowdfunding space, you're going to put information together about the product itself and the advantages of it and what your hopes are for this product. When you talk to investors, you've got to explain the entire business model. So it's it's like, what, how big is the market? What's your strategy for penetrating that market? Who are the competitors? Who are the members of your team and what experience have they had? What are your financial projections and what assumptions are going into those? What are the risks with your strategy? Um, how did you arrive at your valuation? What justification is there for that? So, you know, that's the, the part of the, the content aggregation, which often takes people who are new to crowdfunding by surprise, like just how long that can take. Because if they're from a sales background or they're from a, a technical background, this whole thing of communicating a business model to investors is quite new to them. And that's effectively where my um, my agency comes in because I help out with that. Um, but you know, if you've got someone in your team that can 
that's from a from a financial background, then of course you can do that yourself and put that document together. But it's often has to go through many iterations between you and the platform before you'll be approved to go live. Do you know how long that process would take on average? Well, on average, I would say between two and three months is a, a pretty ballpark figure, but it depends to on on a large extent to how much resource you can devote to it. Yeah. With an equity campaign, you're going to be you're going to be asked a lot of questions, right, about your whole business model from the platform and from investors. So you can devote the resource to providing those answers straight away. Then I think that two to three month preparation period is achievable. But if you're taking three or four days to answer every email, then obviously that timeline can very easily blow out. Um, I, yeah, I know I know sense. some campaigns, for example, that tried to raise in October and they ended up actually getting the money in May. Right? So that's how much it can blow out if you're not if you if you're uh, quote unquote too busy to devote the necessary time to it. How much time would you say a project creator should, like when the campaign is live, how much of their time should they be spending on the campaign? I think it's probably a person for 20 or 30 hours a week. So if you have a bigger team than that, that can be one person or that can be spread out across multiple people. Yeah, so it's the same as, as like Kickstarter as well. Yeah, you've got to have somebody yeah. answering the Q&A for them. This is another thing that's common between equity crowdfunding and rewards. You have the Q&A forum and you're going to get difficult questions thrown at you and you have to answer them. And you can't just give fudged answers or non-answers. If you've got an investor who is thinking of putting money in this thing, um, you've got to answer their question. You've got to answer it properly. Yeah, it they're not just going to say, oh, yeah, let me give you some money. Like, yeah. they just want to make sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I I totally get that. Um, one question that I just, I don't know how this works, and I would love to hear it from your perspective, but when your yep. campaign is live, um, you, with a Kickstarter, you would advertise and have Facebook advertising, and you would be driving traffic to your page and trying to get a whole bunch of people to buy it. Yep. What is your marketing plan when your campaign is live on an equity platform? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting question. I think that because there are fewer campaigns live at any one time on a equity crowdfunding platform, you can rely more on the audience of the platform than would be the case in Kickstarter. You'd know better than me how many Kickstarter campaigns are live at any one time, but it's you know it's thousands, if yeah. not millions. <laughs> a lot. Um, a lot. A lot. Right. On the biggest crowdfunding campaigns for equity, uh, sorry, on the biggest equity crowdfunding portals, being uh, Cedars and Crowdcube in the UK, as a couple of examples, there's maybe a few dozen, but in some platforms it can be one or two at a time. So the the entire platform's attention is focused on you, and but but to get that um, audience of investors on board with you. You've got to do some of the same things as in rewards crowdfunding, as in you've got to show momentum and you've got to show uh, traction and other people are coming in because I think I think in rewards uh, campaigning, people are going to invest for a couple of reasons. They, they think that the reward is cool and they actually want it um, and because they think that it's going to reach its, its target. 
Well, I think this whole it's going to reach its target becomes even more important in equity because because investors have uh, got to make these difficult decisions about valuation and business model and team and all this other stuff. They're going to look really carefully at what the smart money investors are doing. Your marketing campaign actually becomes, I mean, I would say the the impact of social media on an equity crowdfunding campaign is, is quite trivial. Um, and it's one of the mistakes that I see actually. You, you want to be spending your marketing time or resource on in-person meetings or with, uh, with events or reaching out to your email list. So people who are already quite engaged with you or, or finding one or two big investors who can actually take a really sizable part of your raise. And then after that, once you can show that momentum, um, then the platform's audience can take over. Right. So it sounds like it's a lot more, uh, a, a lot more in-depth sales meetings as opposed to a passive raise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Some of the, some of the crowdfunding camp, uh, some of the crowdfunding platforms have minimum investment amounts of a thousand dollars or a thousand pounds or even more. Right. So hard to imagine that somebody's going to invest that amount of money based on a Facebook ad. They're going to need an in-depth walk through the company and to actually understand that it's that it makes sense and that they can they can shake the founder's hand and um, you know really get a sense that their money is is going towards something that has a chance of being profitable one day. Exactly. They think in less of wow, look at this cool new object and more where what is my return long term on this? Yeah. 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 Love it. Um, now I'm curious, are there any I know equity crowdfunding is fairly new, but are there any risks that you see um, or mistakes that you see? No, we'll do risks first. So do you, are there any risks you see around equity crowdfunding right now? From the perspective of who? Perspective of the company raising the money. Yeah, well, I think you have to th think carefully about where it's going to leave you when the campaign's done. And that can be both from a successful point of view and a failed point of view, right? So um, if you're if you're successful, you're going to end up with dozens, if not hundreds, of new shareholders, and then you've got to manage them. So uh, you know, if you if you like this idea of having this crowd that are going to be with you the entirety of your company's journey, then then that's great. But if not, they're going to be around a lot longer than than in a Kickstarter campaign, for example, right? You do a Kickstarter campaign, you get all these backers, and then you deliver the product. Well, they're on their, your email list or whatever, but they, they, you don't have to keep them around if you don't want to. But if you take their money and they're on your shareholder register, it's like um, it's like you're married to them, right? You, you can't get rid of them. <laughs> yeah, very well said. Dating marriage. Yeah, yeah. And why – okay, let's look at it from why wouldn't somebody want – shareholders breathing down their back and why would they want shareholders? I think it's the same answer, but it's um, it just depends on your perspective as an entrepreneur. Like if you are an entrepreneur and you enjoy the freedom and the self-determination and the ability to run your business however you want, then um, 
having shareholders is going to challenge that because now you've got to consider the wants and needs of a whole bunch of other people. And if they've just put in a thousand dollars, their their motivations are for you to grow the company as big as possible. Right? So if you're you're more into running your business for lifestyle reasons or you want to just take a random day off every now and again or a few random weeks off every now and again, equity crowdfunding is probably going to curtail that freedom. Got it. But if you um, if you if you are actually motivated by the same things as your investors are, you're very aligned with the idea of growing your company to be as big as possible, uh, and then you know chasing the big uh, growth angle. Then equity crowdfunding will actually put in place a lot of things to help you get there. So you're going to have a whole people looking at your business model constantly. You're going to have a whole lot of passionate new shareholder advocates. They're going to want to make introductions and help you expand to new markets and, and do all this stuff. So it can actually help you along that journey if you're aligned with what your shareholders want. Yeah. I think I love the idea of going for investment in general. Um, like There are different stages of startups and a few of them that I work with I see how they are, if they're well-funded, um, they can do so much. But if they are bootstrapped and they're constantly will take sales from their product and reinsert that into um, any company growth, that really puts a damper on how quickly they can grow. Yeah, you may have full control of your company, but there's so much you can't do because you are bootstrapped. Like it's really exactly. so interesting yeah. to see the differences between an invested company or company that has investment as to opposed to one that doesn't. And <laughs> um, it, it ends up being the case that some companies don't even have that luxury of growing slowly. Like yeah. if you're into the really cutting edge stuff like fintech or um, app development, or if you if you take twelve or eighteen months more to develop your business because you're bootstrapped. Then the opportunity might be gone. Someone else has gone and taken that market. So that's why I think these types of companies are the ones that tend to play in that VC slash equity crowdfunding space more. Yeah, no, I get that. Uh, So one of my last questions is from, actually, I have two last questions. One of them is what are some of the risks investing in an equity campaign as an investor would be one of them? Mm hmm. Well, I think the, the, the biggest risk is that the company fails and you lose all your money. That's an acknowledged risk in pretty much every uh, equity crowdfunded that these are startups in many cases. And yeah, they they have a chance of going on to become the stereotypical next Airbnb or next Uber, but they also have a chance of everyone losing their money and uh, you just you, know, you just don't get anything from the whole experience. So that's why you need to take a portfolio approach, I think, as an investor. Yeah. And I know, like, Kickstarter is the same thing. You have that risk of the product or the company going under and all that stuff. Um, what are the legal implications? And this probably varies based on country. But say in mm-hmm. New Zealand, for example, what if I invested in an equity campaign and they go under? What are some of the legal risks for me as a company if I don't deliver? Well, what you're going to be held to are the same standards that are um, that are that are that are held for uh, your your securities regulator within that country. Um, 
say that again. You're going to be held to the same standards that are within the security regulators in your country. So you can't use equity crowdfunding to make false or misleading statements. You need to make sure that everything in your offer material is verifiable and true and based on you know, based on truth. That's the most important thing. Otherwise, the company or the directors of the company could be liable. I think this is another reason why it takes longer to put an equity crowdfunding campaign together in most cases is because you need to put uh, you, you need to put your business plan through a lawyer before you can put it out there because it's an offer of securities, which means in the United States it's governed by the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. Yeah. So, yeah, there are acknowledged uh, increase in legal risks out there if you use the equity crowdfunding campaign um, track. Having said that, there there have been very few of these. I think people are, are very careful that they don't want to get sued, so they're they're making these um, offers in the right way, generally speaking. Well, that's that's good to hear. Because <laughs> I know even uh, I'm actually bringing a lawyer onto a crowdfunding lawyer onto the show next week, so I'm going to dig more into the legal side. But it's because I get that question a lot: is even if I have a Kickstarter campaign and I don't deliver. What does that mean for me? Do I get sued? And I can't answer mm. that because I'm not a lawyer. Um, and I think I love your answer where you have to do your due diligence. You have to run everything you do by a lawyer to protect yourself. Really, and I, and I'm and not a lawyer either, by the way. I know, so, I know. Uh, yes, yes. Anyone listening <laughs> to the show, just uh, consult legal counsel. <laughs> yeah, but I think like what, what you've given as an answer is really good because there are, I mean, there are many kinds of startup founders and the ones that are, they do well, they obviously do, they, they go through legal counsel and, and all that, but others that don't, they don't see the ramifications of what could happen if everything goes bad because they could look through the startup life as like rose colored glasses, you know? Yep. So. Yeah, look, I think well, lawyers are expensive, but they're worth it because they can stop you from getting into some very, very sticky situations. Yeah, I see them as an investment because if you, mm. yeah, it, we can go on forever on that. But I've just seen my a few of my friends and they, uh, they've been through some really sticky situations in business and they learn the hard way why it pays to have a very expensive lawyer because they're probably saving you that much and more in legal fees with other things. Yep, and remember they've they've spent their life studying the law, so they have got the answers to the questions that you don't know. And mm -hmm. yeah, you've got to pay for that advice, but that's what they do. That's their business. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't think you have to go for the most expensive lawyer in town. There are there are people out there who are now specialising in crowdfunding who are uh, they understand that startups don't have a lot of money and mm -hmm. they're not uh, charging the same as big Wall Street firms are. Um, but you want to get someone in your space who's a specialist for sure. 100%. Yeah. And where do you see crowdfunding, uh, equity crowdfunding going in the next year or two? Well, I think what its potential is, is to be part of this broader fintech trend, which is um, making more direct contact between investors and uh, the companies that need investment. So like in London, for example, which is one of the really hot areas for financial technology right now, there's a whole thing about how banks are being disintermediated because you've got platforms which are being smarter about 
connecting lenders and borrowers with each other, the big difference in interest rate. I think I think equity crowdfunding is part of that too. It means that you can have companies get a direct relationship with their crowd or their their investors, um, without needing a venture capital firm in the middle uh, taking their cut. So I think what it'll do is it'll, you know, with with greater access comes more opportunities, and it'll it'll be a force for uh, helping more entrepreneurs than ever to get their ideas off the ground and to fund their dreams. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, now you have a book coming out. Hmm. I, I can you tell me more about that? Like, when is it coming out? What is what is it about? And how could people um, stay in the know for when that is happening? Yeah, cool. So the book is called Equity Crowdfunding: The Complete Guide for Startups and Growing Companies. So if you are a startup that's thinking about equity crowdfunding, or maybe you've already decided that equity crowdfunding is the thing for you and you just want to know the best ways to do it, uh, I've gone ahead and interviewed 20 startups from all over the world and on a lot of the larger platforms as well and what they're seeing, the ones that are at the forefront of the crowdfunding revolution. Um, and in there, I lay out all of the steps that you need to go through um, from choosing a platform, working out whether equity crowdfunding is for you in the first place, uh, putting together your information for the platform so that you've got a good chance of being accepted. And, um, and of course, some marketing strategies, which is usually the part of the book that most people will turn first to. It's all about getting those people through the door. Um, so that'll be coming out on the 1st of November. Wonderful. And if you head over to my site, which is uh, assembleadvisory.com, and I, I guess you'll have the link on your uh, podcast page. I will put a link um, in the show notes to that. Yep, yep. Uh, you can subscribe. And actually, for the first couple of days after the 1st of November, you can download it on Kindle for free. That's my, that's my oh, launch strategy. Wow. So I love that. If you're, if, you're, if you're listening to this after the 1st of November in the future, um, it'll be on Amazon and uh, you, know, you can get yourself a physical copy too. But uh, for those first few days, it'll be available to download free of charge. I love that strategy. Don't forget to get those mm -hmm. Amazon reviews. Oh yes, uh, the, <laughs> I know you I've become will. A, I've become a quick study in this whole book launch thing. Early reviews, momentum on day one. You know, uh, it's a uh, it's a science to it, but I'm looking for. I'm really looking forward to seeing how it goes. Actually, you know, yeah. uh, obviously, putting a book together, there's a lot of work involved in that, and uh, the launch day is rapidly approaching. Much to, much like, uh, launching a crowdfunding campaign must be like you. You know, you're gonna you're gonna launch it, and then you're gonna see the fruits of your labor or otherwise it's like oh it's so nerve-wracking um yeah but i'm sure it's going to be great i mean you've done your research you have a great plan together um and you have a date that's not moving so. I've, I've, I've been fortunate <laughs> that i've been able to um you know to, to pick the brains of some really really successful crowdfunded companies and you know, they've lent their expertise to the book so i'm just fortunate to be the one that's um that's brought it all together Man, I can't wait. Be sure to send me a link once it's live, okay? Yep, I sure will. Absolutely. Sounds great. All right, well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, you've definitely taught me a lot about equity crowdfunding, and I think I can say the same for the audience. Yeah, it's uh, absolutely my pleasure, Kirsten. Great to be on the show, and uh, thanks again. No worries. Well, that was fun. I just learned a ton more about equity crowdfunding, 
And I hope that you guys enjoyed that to see that as an alternate route, even heck, just, you know, to understand what the differences are between the different kinds of crowdfunding that you can do. Um, Now, until next week, if you are in the middle of planning for your crowdfunding project, be sure to head over to crowdfundinguncut.com where you can grab our free product launch checklist. It's a full play-by-play of what you do from six months before you launch right up until after you launch. And it's been the framework um, that I've created from launching three mega successful campaigns that have grossed over uh, $300,000 each. So definitely crowdfundinguncut.com and the link for that is in the show notes. And we will see you guys next time. Love you, appreciate you, and thanks for sharing the show if you find it valuable. Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launch pad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like the Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launch pad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launch pad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.